This is Ezra chapter 5. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Leo, prophesied that the Jews in Judea, in Judah, and Jerusalem, in the name of the God of Israel, who, <clears throat> who was over them. Then Zabbai, son of the Sheltekel, and the son of Josedach, set to work rebuilding the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were, <clears throat> were with them, the governor of trans uh, Euphrates and Shaphat Bosdan and their associates went to them and asked, who authorized you to rebuild the temple and to finish it? They also asked, what are the names of those who are constructing this building? But the eye of the, their God was watching over them, over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until the, a report could go to Darius in his written reply be received. This is the copy of the letter that Tatania, governor of the Trans-Euphrates, and Bathel Bosnail and their associates, officials of Transit-Euphrates, sent a letter to Darius and reported, report they sent him, read as follows, to King Darius, cordial greetings. The king should not now that we went to the district of Judah, to the temple of the great God. The, the people are building a large stone and placed with timbers in the walls. They worked and been carried on with diligent and, they, and, and is making rapid progress under their direction. We, we questioned the elders and asked them, who authorized you to rebuild this temple to finish it? We also asked you their names so that we could write down the names of their leaders for the information. This is the answer they gave us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and we are building the temple that was built many years ago. One thing a great king of Israel built and finished, but because our ancient, ancient agreement agreed that the king of heaven has given them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldean king of Babylon, who, who destroyed this temple and reported the people of Babylon, deported the people of Babylon. However, in the first year, Cyrus, the king of Babylon, 
King Cyrus is sued, is pursued a degree of to the building, to the rebuilding the house of God. He even removed the, the temple of Babylon, the gold and silver art, artifacts of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to the temple in Babylon. And King Cyrus gave them to the man, Shebeza, who he had appointed governor and, the, and told him to take over. Take these art, artifacts and go and deposit them at the temple in Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God on, the, on its site. So, he, so this Shabazah came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem. From the day of the presence to the presence, it has gone under constructions, but never yet finished. Now, if it has pleased the king, let's, let's, let the search be made on the royal artifacts of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did in fact issue the decree to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Let, then let the king send us his decision in this matter. And as we come to look at that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is living and active. We thank you that you speak to us uh, through it. Uh, please speak to us now. Uh, change us uh, by uh, your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, how do you make a decision? Uh, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Uh, just close your eyes and, and point. Um, uh, weigh up the pros uh, and the cons. Um, really, it depends on the decision, doesn't it? Um, different decisions require different means of deciding. Um, but what about when deciding whether to go God's way or the world's way? Uh, what about when God tells you to do uh, one thing and everyone around you says uh, the opposite? Um, if you're a Christian, it may sound obvious, and yet in reality, it's not, often not that easy. Well, in chapter 5 of Ezra, we see God's people faced with a dilemma. What will they do? Um, how will they decide? And unlike last week, um, this week, we don't have to learn from their mistakes, uh, but we can see what they did and how that can help us to be able to make the same decision. Uh, first, let's briefly recap where we are in Ezra. Let me get this on. Um, if you remember, God's people were in exile uh, in Babylon. Um, King Cyrus then said that they could return to Jerusalem uh, in order to rebuild uh, the temple. 
Uh, a small number, a, a, a remnant of them, returned and started building. Uh, they built the altar. They laid uh, the foundations of the temple. Uh, and then last week, they faced opposition. Uh, that opposition caused them uh, to stop building. Uh, they laid down their tools work ground to a halt. The temple remained unfinished. An incomplete, abandoned building is a very sad sight. And that's where we left it at the end of chapter 4. And now we get to chapter 5, and we find God's people being faced with a decision. Uh, and so we come to our first point, uh, faced uh, with a decision. Uh, have a look at verse 1 with me. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Uh, we're introduced here to two uh, prophets um, and we're told that they prophesied in the name of God. We're not told here what they prophesied, however, and so in order to find that out, we would need to read their respective books, Haggai and Zechariah. Um, you see, here in verse 1, we could insert two whole uh, books into this verse. Uh, we're not going to read uh, all of those books, although they're not very long, especially Haggai. It's only two chapters, so maybe you could read some of that uh, this week uh, to get some of the background. Uh, let me read the first few verses of Haggai, though to find out some of what he prophesied uh, to them. Uh, Haggai chapter 1 says this, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest. Uh, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. And if you remember last week, um, we were told that the opposition went on until um, the reign of Darius. And here we find ourselves in the second year of Darius. And it's at that point 
that the prophet Haggai stands up and he says to God's people, God says, what are you doing? You keep saying it's not time to build God's house. You're coming up with excuses to justify your inaction, but God says you're wrong. How can you be living in lovely panelled houses doing home improvements whilst God's house looks like that, lying in ruins? They had convinced themselves that they shouldn't be building the temple. But God says, no, you are to build. Zechariah also prophesied at the same time. Zechariah 1 says, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Ido. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Turn back to God, he said. You've turned away from him, so turn back. Don't make the same mistake that your ancestors made. Look what happened to them. Haggai and Zechariah prophesied. And then we're told in verse 2 of Ezra, chapter 5, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Josedak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Uh, They started building again. They listened to God's word through his prophets. What wonderful uh, news. And it seems that work is going well. Uh, We find out later on in verse 8 that the people are building uh, the temple with large stones and placing the timbers in the walls. The work is being carried on with diligence and is making rapid progress under their direction. Uh, Work is going well. They're working diligently. Uh, The work is prospering. But then we get the people appearing again. Uh, Have a look down at verse 3. At that time, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bozanai and their associates went to them and asked, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? They also asked, what are the names of those who are constructing this building? At the same time, as God is telling them to build, the people come along and say, what are you doing? You haven't got permission to start building again. Notice here that as long as they disobeyed God, the opposition stopped. But as soon as they started disobeying, uh, sorry, as soon as they started being obedient to God again, the opposition came back. There is a very easy way to avoid the opposition we thought about last week. 
by being unfaithful uh, to God. Uh, But here they learnt. Uh, They started building again, uh, and now the opposition gets personal. Uh, Give us the names of everyone who is building. Uh, Who knows in what ways that could be used against them. Uh, And so the dilemma is set up. Uh, God is telling them to build. The people are telling them to stop. Who will they listen to? They can't do both. This is not a situation where you can try and make both parties happy. What will they do? Uh, Maybe they could go uh, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Maybe they could just close their eyes and and pick one. Uh, Maybe they could weigh up the pros and the cons. Well, if we disobey the king, then he could arrest us. Uh, He could take our homes from us. Uh, He could even kill us. But if we disobey God, well, then the king will be pleased with us. Maybe we could go back to living in our panelled houses, but what might God do? They could try and weigh it up and make a pragmatic decision. God's people are faced with a dilemma. Well, we're not told here directly how they respond. However, we do find out what their response was through the letter that is written to Darius. And we find out that they don't do any of that, surprisingly. But they recollect. They look back. They remember. And so we see that being faced with a decision requires a recollection. Being faced with a decision requires a recollection. And Tatanai, the governor of the whole area where Jerusalem was, an official of the Persian Empire, writes a letter to Darius. Uh, Maybe because Darius is a new king, so he's just not sure what he'll say. Uh, And so he writes this letter to put the situation before Darius uh, and ask uh, what they should do. Uh, And so in his letter, he reports the situation. Uh, The exiles in Judah are rebuilding the house of God, he says. Uh, The work is going well. And then have a look down at verse 9. We questioned the elders and asked them who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it. We also asked them their names so that we could write down the names of their leaders for your information. This is the answer they gave us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago. One that a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar the Chaldean, king of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. And then they go on recollecting, and then they say in verse 16, So this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem. From that day to the present, it has been under construction, but is not yet finished. Uh, Here we are told how God's people answered Tatanai. Uh, They look back. Uh, They remember who God is. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, they say. In other words, we're obeying the God who is far greater than any other king. 
They remember that it was Solomon who built the temple originally and finished it back when Israel was a great kingdom. They remember that it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and so they are only rebuilding what had been knocked down. They remember that they had been taken into exile, but then that Cyrus had issued a decree in order to rebuild the temple. But they don't just remember the historical facts. Their argument could have just been based on historical grounds. Cyrus said that we could rebuild it, so let us build But they also base their argument here on spiritual or religious grounds too. Um, As they look back, they don't just remember what happened, but they remember why they happened. They remember the reason. They remember that the reason the temple was destroyed and the people were taken into exile was because they had angered God. It was God who had allowed this to happen. It was God who gave them into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. They remember what happens when you go against God. They remember that their God is far above every other king. And so actually, as they remember this, they realize that this isn't even a decision. Like when Lauren says to me, do you want cheese on your spaghetti bolognese? And I say, what kind of question is that? (laughs) Doesn't even warrant an answer. Of course I want cheese. As they look back and recollect, this decision becomes a bit like that. It's obvious. Well, of course we will obey God. Because he's the God of heaven and earth. He's the God who is above every other king. He's the God who sent us into exile. That's what happens when we disobey him. But he's also the God who brought us back out. He's the God who worked wonders to move the heart of Cyrus to make this decree. He's the God who can work wonders in this situation and move the heart of Darius too. It's not even a question. As they recollect, that helps them to make the right decision. They know whose side they're on. And they know that disobeying God is far, far worse than disobeying the king, however powerful he might be. Faced with a decision requires a recollection. And then thirdly, plus divine attention. Being faced with a decision requires a recollection plus divine intervention. You see, that would have been good enough. They haven't crumbled under the opposition like they did last week. They fought back, staking their case, and they have carried on building. They haven't stopped building, but have been obedient to God. It's wonderful to see, and that could have been enough. Even if force was then used against them, they've been faithful to God, and that's what counts. But I think we can say that um, partly because of their faithfulness, they get a helping hand uh, as well. Have a look at verse 5. They've just been grilled and challenged, and then verse 5 says... But the eye of their God 
was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. At the eye of God was on them. He was watching over them, and so they weren't stopped. Tatanai grilled them. He took their names, but God prevented him from actually stopping them. Instead, he let them carry on building until he heard uh, what Darius uh, wanted to do. And we're told that happened because of God. Because God's eye was on them. He was uh, watching over them. I think another way that we see God's eye uh, being on them is that the, litter, uh, the letter sorry, that is, was written was actually very fair. It's a stark contrast to the letter we read last week, which was manipulative uh, with a specific uh, purpose. Um, this letter, on the other hand, um, just lays out all the facts uh, and allows uh, Darius to decide. It doesn't try to lead the king and because they obeyed God, God rewards them by ensuring that they got a fair hearing, so to speak. Now, we'll have to wait till next week to find out um, what, um, uh, what the result is. Uh, what does Darius say? Uh, we, we leave this chapter on a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, but in a sense, it doesn't matter. Um, they've learned from last week. They've learned from the mistakes of their ancestors, and they have now stood firm. And that has meant that God has looked on them kindly. He's rewarded their courage. One commentator said they were experiencing the presence of a watching, caring, enabling, and overruling God. They were experiencing the presence of a watching, caring, enabling, and overruling God. What a wonderful thing that is, to have the God of heaven and earth watching over you. To know that his eye is upon you, caring for you, protecting you, seeking your good. So that's what happened to these returned exiles We'll have to wait till next week um, uh, to see how Darius responds. Uh, but for now, um, what does that mean uh, for us? <coughs> um, we're, when we're faced with a decision, uh, when God says one thing and the world says another, uh, what do we do? Uh, when God says, this is how you are to live, and the world says, you don't need to live like that anymore. Times have moved on. We've progressed. In fact, not only do you not need to live like that anymore, but it's harmful to others if you live like that. And so we're going to stop you. What do we do? Well, we start by recollecting. We look back and we remember. We remember who God is, the God of heaven and earth, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the God who, who was, who is, and who is to come, the creator of all things, the sustainer of life, the King of kings. We remember who God is, 
We also remember what God has said, um, how he's told us to worship him, uh, how he's told us we are to live, uh, how he said that we are uh, to approach him. Um, this is important because it seems that the reason they had stopped building, um, or at least uh, why they didn't restart building again, was because they convinced themselves that it wasn't right to build. Did God really say that that is a huge temptation that comes at us? Did God really say that that is sin? Did God really say we should live like this? If we forget what he said, or we convince ourselves that he didn't really mean that, then we don't realize we're disobeying him. We think he's pleased with us. That is a dangerous place to be. We remember what God has said. We also remember how he's worked in the past, how he's acted through different circumstances, both through history, remembering things like Ezra, and how he's shown himself to be above all kings, but also how he's worked in our lives. We heard um, Lise and Nick doing that earlier in the service, looking back in their lives and reflecting on how God uh, had uh, worked in their lives. And note here that they didn't just look back at the good times. It's easy to think we just need to remember the good things, uh, how God has worked for our good caring for us, leading us, etc. And yet here, the main thing that they remembered was how God had put them into the hands of the king of Babylon to destroy the temple and taken them into exile. It seems an odd thing to remember, and yet that showed them who their God is. It reminded them of the consequences if you disobey him, but also how he is above every other king. And so that helped them to go the right way. We recollect looking back and remembering who God is and what he's done. You could do that, couldn't you? In your lives this week, you could call to mind what God has said and what he's done, couldn't you? When you face a decision when you know God wants you to do one thing, but those around you are saying the opposite, you could cause yourself to remember him, couldn't you? You could read your Bible, you could look back and remember. And then once you remember, that can give you what you need to follow his way. And as you do, you can know that he will be faithful to you. He might not help in the way that he did here. He might not make the path really easy. But his eye will be on you. He will be watching over you. Working for your good. You will in some way get to experience the watching, caring, enabling and overruling God. He will go with you. He won't abandon you. And there is nothing better than to have God, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, watching over you. And then one day, he will reward you. You won't be exiled, but you'll be welcomed into his kingdom, 
What a wonderful thing that is. Uh, He will keep you, brothers and sisters, until that day. Holding on to you, uh, protecting you, until you get to go home. That won't be because of your obedience. That will all be because of Jesus' obedience. The one who has always gone God's way. The one who was obedient to God, even unto death. Now, most of the ways that this will play out for us uh, will be in everyday decisions. Uh, It will be in deciding whether to fight sin. It will be in how we choose to spend our time, where we choose to go, what we think even about situations. In a sense, they may not have big consequences Maybe with most of these decisions, the worst that can happen when we decide to go God's way is being ostracized, to have people you know and love turn against you. But that is no small thing to face being ostracized. Christians in some countries may seem to have the threat of far greater consequences. If you're told you're not allowed to own a Bible, and if you do, you'll be arrested, what do you do? If you're told that if you go to church, you'll lose your job or even your life, what do you do? We don't face those kinds of threats currently. However, we could do. There may soon be bigger consequences for us. I mentioned last week um, the proposed conversion therapy ban. I said that the battle is not over. Well, on Friday of this week, a private member's bill in the House of Lords had its second reading putting forward legislation to make it illegal to teach that any sexual orientation or gender identity is inherently preferable to another. Um, If it were to go through, we would have to make a decision between speaking God's truth or obeying the government with serious consequences at the result. Now, this bill is unlikely to go through as it is, but it seems inevitable that it will at some point. My point being that there may soon be bigger consequences for deciding to go God's way. This is not just a trivial exercise. Which is why we need to be even more sure of this. When we face these threats, we can remember who our God is. This is not something new for God's people. He has brought his people through far worse times, and he has never abandoned them. But he has kept his eye on them. And so as we seek to be faithful, as we seek to say, it doesn't matter what threats you throw my way, I will obey God every time, then his eye will be on us. He will hold us fast, and he will bring us through. We will get to experience his favor. So when faced with a decision to go God's way or the world's way, won't you recollect, remember God, be obedient to him. And as you do, you can know his divine attention, rewarding your courage, watching, caring, enabling, and overruling on your behalf. And you can know that because of Jesus, the one who will hold you fast. You can't go God's way on your own, but with Christ, you can. So endeavor with the Spirit's help 
to go God's way. And he will hold you fast.